Welcome to the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I'm Curtis Rogers, Communications Director, and today I'm pleased to have with us in our virtual podcast studio two special guests representing the South Carolina Association of School Librarians. Michelle Spires is the Association's Advocacy Chair, and she's also a librarian at the Gray Court Owings School, which is in Lawrence County and Tamara Cox, SCASL Awards Chairperson, and 2019-2020 SCASL School Librarian of the Year. And she's also a librarian at Wren High School in Anderson County. So welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us to come and join your podcast. Well, thank you for being able to do it remotely. That's, that's how the rule of thumb is nowadays. <laughs> um, so, Michelle, let's start a little bit with you. Tell us uh, something about uh, SCASL, and also some people refer to it as SCASL, the South Carolina Association of School Librarians, and your work as the adv advocacy chair. Just a little bit about the South Carolina Association of School Librarians. What we do is we work to ensure that school library programs are integral to teaching and learning in every South Carolina school. SCASL offers membership to school librarians, paraprofessionals, but also to any teacher or administrator that might be interested in supporting the work that school librarians do across the state. SCASL has several committees that help further the work that we do, including the advocacy committee in which that's the committee that I chair. And so my role is to support and promote that work that school librarians do in their schools. We really want to share what the role of the school librarian is in the school, but then also make that visible to others within our schools, our communities and across the state. And so for this year, some of our goals, um, we're going to continue to offer uh, Speak Up SCASL in which school librarians will promote things that they are doing on social media with different monthly topics. This month's topic is School Librarians Reset, Renew, and Reconnect to start the new school year, which also goes right along with our SCASL Connects webinar series that uh, Tamara and I will be kicking off starting next week. And so... Um, our focus really is on how we can connect, support, and then promote school librarians all across our state. Wow, that's, that's a mouthful. You do a lot. <laughs> um, okay, and Tamara, tell us about your work with uh, SCASL as the awards chair and, and other stuff that you guys do. So my committee is uh, one of the most fun committees, in my opinion. So uh, part of our responsi responsibilities for the School Librarian of the Year is to lead the awards committee the following year. So I have the pleasure of overseeing our professional awards like Librarian of the Year and Library Program of the Year. So it's a lot of fun to help shine the spotlight on school libraries and celebrate all that we contribute to our students and communities. And um, how long have both of you been working with SCASL? It's 10 years for me. So this is my sixth year as a school librarian, but um, this is really only my third year that I have truly been involved in uh, South Carolina Association of School Librarians as much. And actually, Tamara was the legislative chair last year, um, and I took on the advocacy role in the middle of the year. So she and I kind of partnered and worked together on some different projects last year, as well as this year. <laughs> well, I certainly know what it's like to work in a 
volunteer-run organization. I was actually 2008 president of the South Carolina Library Association, so my hat is off to you. I know what hard work it is, and it's you, you just really have to have your heart in it. So uh, thank you for all your work with the association. Let's talk a little bit about uh, each of your school libraries and what you're doing to welcome students back and what your school libraries will be operating like. What Just talk us through a little bit about uh, maybe just by describing what your school library is like and then and then what you're going to be doing. So I'm at um, Wren High School. So we serve about almost 1,200 students. And um, this year is just going to be a unique one. <laughs> we're, I've really been missing the kids, so I'm excited. Um, however, we're able to um, see them this year. Uh, but the school librarians are ready for whatever is coming at us this year, virtual, in-person, hybrid schedules, whatever it may be. Um, for our in-person learning, uh, most likely we're going to have large classes using our library space so that they can spread out a little bit better. Um, which means I'll probably be on a cart delivering books <laughs> to our classes and presenting lessons more in the classroom rather than uh, having that instruction in the library space, preparing books for our students that have chosen the virtual option so that they can come by the school and still get print books if they would like to pick those up, and just supporting our teachers during this challenge. Um, if we go virtual at any point, uh, we're still ready to continue to promote books online, curate resources for our students and teachers, record lessons, homework help, whatever may come up in the year. So it's going to be an interesting one, but um, I'm excited to tackle that challenge and serve our students and teachers the best that I can. And Michelle, what about you at your school? I am at Graycourt Owens School, and so we are a kindergarten through eighth grade school, actually pre-K through eighth grade school, and we have about 800 students, and so um, I will kind of be in a similar situation as Tamara. Um, I will be going into classroom to serve students as well. I think that my library will probably be used for small group instruction or pull out for things like English language learners or um special education students that need to be pulled out in small groups. Um, I still plan to provide as many library services as I did when they came into the actual library. I will just be doing it in classrooms. Um, so tech integration, research skills, um, digital literacy skills for my younger students, read alouds, um, really just anything that teachers are willing to have me come in. I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for school librarians to collaborate with teachers and really show the school what we are able to do. So I'm actually looking forward to that So because a lot of times in elementary they just drop their students off and so now they're going to actually see what we are able to do and what kind of um, resource we can be for them. We also, um, at my school, are over all of the technology devices, and so a part of my job will be troubleshooting that. Um, as we have some of our teachers who are going to be doing virtual academy, but then we're going to also have teachers who are teaching in person, so we're going to have to kind of go between you know, helping those people who are, have students on campus, but then also who have students that are learning from home. And so I think that taking the skills that we have and that we have been trained for um, are gonna be great for 
being able to kind of take on both of those roles. Um, what kind of guidance, if any, or what maybe conversations have you had within the South Carolina Association of School Librarians? Um, what, what kind of talks have there been about, you know, planning? Because COVID-19 certainly has disrupted everyone's lives and everyone's planning process. So has the association been able to provide any guidance? Well, we were invited to share our library guidelines and suggestions with the Accelerate Ed uh, SC group. So uh, we put those together. We've shared those with our membership and other librarians and many districts I know of have also included uh, librarians and other teachers on their committees as they're planning for the year. Um, I was on two of those committees for Anderson One. So it's been, um, it's been good that they have asked us and, and got our expertise when they're putting those guidelines together because it is a unique uh, situation, you know, for the library because we're used to everyone touching all the books and browsing and being able to come in and out as we please. And so it's just going to be a little bit different. Um, and we're trying to, you know, address the precautions that we need to, to still be able to serve our kids. And I will add that as far as, um, kind of like the instructional piece, um, Tamara and I are doing the first webinar on August the 15th with the theme of Reset, Renew, and Reconnect. And part of, well, really our entire presentation is about um, first safety and what are some guidelines for how to just handle materials and things like that, but then also suggestions for um, lesson plans, um, suggestions for how we can support our students' social-emotional learning. So we are kind of leading that and offering that to any of our members for free, but then anyone outside of our membership um, can either join or they can uh, pay to attend those webinars. So we are trying to give some ideas for uh, other school librarians of how they can support their students and teachers with lesson ideas also. That's great. That's really good to be able to provide that kind of educational opportunity so that your colleagues can all basically all be on the same page. That's, that's what we really, you know, hope for. Um, one of the things as you were both talking that popped into my head, um, when, when we're talking about, and I know both of you, well, South Carolina in general has a lot of rural uh, locations, rural populations. Um, what have there been any discussions about broadband access or Wi-Fi access? Because, you know, students who may want to be learning from home, maybe they don't have the best Wi-Fi access. I know we even have some staff uh, out in the hinterlands who sometimes it's iffy, you know, uh, internet access isn't 100% reliable. So what has the conversation been about that? Um, so for our school, one of the things that we did is we put out a survey for um, students, but then also faculty, um, if they needed a hotspot or if they needed internet service, um, then we have purchased some of those with CARES Act funding um, to be able to provide those for students and faculty. Um, and when we went virtual or e-learning in March, we had some teachers who did not have internet and for them it wasn't about affordability um, so much as it was that it was not offered where they live. And so I think that that is an issue that 
we have to address, um, for some people, it's not about affordability. It's about charter or or provider is not actually carrying service to where people live in these rural areas. And so they were having to come to the parking lot of the school just to teach their students. Um, and so we're hoping that that will be better with hotspots and things like that. But I, I think that that in itself is going to be, is this hotspot going to work when you get to some of these remote locations who where cell service doesn't actually work. So the pandemic has definitely shined the light on those in, inequities in our state and across the country. So I'm encouraged that more lawmakers seem to be discussing this and talking about this and hopefully bringing some policies and funding that would help. We've offered hotspots for years, um, but I do expect we'll expand that even more this year. And um, like Michelle mentioned, we had uh, set up internet access at the parking lots as well because in Piedmont, there's not a lot of choices for <laughs> free Wi-Fi, so we wanted to make sure our students could access their work last you know in the spring so uh, we are one-to-one -one Chromebooks and iPads different grades so it's always been important for our kids since we've had those because they take those home but now even more so and that's what a lot of public libraries across the state have been doing is keeping their Wi-Fi on so that people can access it from parking lots. And another program we're just getting started with is called Access SC through the state library. And that's providing Wi-Fi hotspots to public libraries so that patrons can check them out if they live in a rural area where there's no access. So, yeah, it really has, uh, Tamara, like you said, really... Uh, shined a light on uh, all of those kinds of broadband uh, inequities that we have. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have, it's, it's hit or miss. It's, it's about location. I live in Hopkins, South Carolina, and that's between Columbia and Sumter. And, you know, there are areas out here where there's really poor cell service. So mm -hmm. um, it's just a challenge for everyone. Um, let's talk a little bit about PPEs, and that's the personal protective equipment. And how is that going to be working in your library? Have you all been having to install acrylic barriers or make changes to computer workstations? Uh, how are you going to be disinfecting materials, that kind of thing? So for me, um, I haven't been in the library much because we're trying to keep people out of the building, but I think an acrylic barrier on the way. <laughs> I've ordered some masks and some face shields so that I could um, bring those in for my own use at school. I also requested an air filter because my library is an interior room and we don't have any windows or anything to kind of help with ventilation. Um, we're going to have hand sanitizer stations throughout the entire building and the library, signs and tape to help with social distancing. And I even saw this T-Rex cardboard cutout that I'm kind of wanting because it's six feet wide from head to tail. And I thought that would might be a cute way to kind of help us see how, how big six feet really is when we're trying to separate students from each other. And that might get their attention. So I may be getting that for the library soon. <laughs> but based on what I've read, um, I think I'm, I'm going to be quarantining our books for four days. Um, as students turn those in, and I will probably shut down our computer stations that students have access to. Um, as I mentioned earlier, our students are one-to-one -one with Chromebooks, so it, that shouldn't be a big issue for me as far as the computer use. But um, yeah, those are the, the main plans we have in place at the moment. Of course, that could be adjusted 
And so we are very similar. Um, I have requested that all of our school libraries receive a plexiglass barrier or something for the circulation desk. And initially, students won't really be allowed to come into the library. So, um, but at some point, we hope that we will be able to at least allow some people in, and we would like to go ahead and have that. Um, we've asked for lots of gloves just because we're going to be handling so many books, books from students that are in the school, but then also our virtual academy books. Um, I'm still telling my students that they can take books home. And so, you know, I think it's going to be important that we have gloves as we are touching all of these materials. And um, the research that I have seen has also said um, basically four days for quarantine. There were some materials that were five days like magazines, but I don't think that I'm going to circulate my magazines um, initially. And so that's something that I've had to kind of adjust my thinking on. Um, but then also quarantine tubs or extra carts um, just for materials that we are having to quarantine so that we can kind of know, okay, we quarantined these on Monday. So now we can't use these again, or we can't have students check these books out again until four days later. Um, and so then our district is providing masks for all employees. So um, I have bought some, but they will also be providing extra ones. We also, instead of the um, dinosaur, I have Velcro dots that stick to the carpet, which is very good for social distancing. If at some point kids get to turn it, come back into the library, then I can put them six feet apart standing in line. I can put them six feet apart, like sitting in an area um, for a read aloud or something or a lesson or something like that. So but I already had those because that makes good lineup markers for kindergarten students already. And when you mentioned read aloud, is that the same thing as story time? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that kind of goes into another question I had, and that's about programming, because I know, you know, if you have read alouds or story times, and um, of course, Tamara at the high school level, I know you have different kinds of programming, but are you going to be turning any of that programming into virtual programming or what kinds of things are you going to do for the students and the teachers? So in the spring when we uh, were sent home, we continued our faculty book club and our student book club. So we will definitely continue that no matter what our schedule looks like this year. Um, and that was a great way for me to still connect with my students and a great way for our faculty members to meet socially online and talk about what we were reading. So I definitely will uh, continue that. And I already have three virtual author visits set up for my book club for next year. So those again will continue no matter what kind of schedule with, that we're on. A couple of things I'm considering and kind of planning out still are like digital breakout rooms, uh, trivia game nights, a digital or to-go makerspace kit that our kids could either pick up or do, do together online and just other like fun things so that it's, they can connect socially with their friends, not just always in a Zoom meeting with a, a teacher for instruction. So just kind of make some things fun. And I am going to offer a virtual pop-in story time. And so for teachers that, and we'll, we'll be set up at different times so that teachers or students can just pop in at that time. Um, but last year, one of the things that we did was the classroom book a day, but I did it school-wide. 
And so I purchased enough books to circulate so that every, like every student in the school would have read the same 180 books that got cut short. Um, in the midst of all of the things that were happening, I didn't have access to all of the kids. We, I had not set up Google Classrooms for all of my students in March. Um, I had some of my upper grades set up, but I didn't have my lower grades. So this year, teachers have asked for us to continue the classroom book a day. We're not going to be able to pass those from classroom to classroom. Um, so we are going to um, record some of those and send them in a closed setting because I do know that copyright and um, that is important and that we are following the guidelines for copyright. Um, so we are going to keep that in a closed setting. My assistant that I have is fabulous. She memorizes picture books and then reenacts them with props and everything. And so we're going to try to do some of those as virtual pop-in story times, but then record some of those as well. Um, I am setting up a Google Classroom for all of my students based on grades so that I can push out um, like at-home maker spaces or uh, access to ebooks, so different things that students would be interested in so that they can still connect to the library. Um, I offered a virtual help desk last year and I will do that again this year so that they can, will fill out a form and then I will contact them for whatever their needs were. And so sometimes parents filled those out and because they had tech trouble at home or they needed help with research. So I'm going to offer that again. Um, we also partnered with Clemson Extension of Lawrence County last year, and they would come into the school and do lessons. And so they are going to be offering some virtual lessons and take home kits. So I want to continue partnering with those people in our community that have partnered with us previously who are also taking their services virtually. Yeah, that's a lot of things I've, I've seen with other libraries are being able to maintain partnerships is very important. It's just on a different level now. So a lot more people are relying on the virtual aspect. Um, when you mentioned ebooks, that kind of made me think um, we manage the statewide virtual library discus through the state library. And I'm wondering, do you think discus resources will be used more because of virtual access? We love discus at the high school. So <laughs> whether we're in person or at home, that is our, our number one source for research projects and papers with the kids. So that will definitely continue and maybe even expand into some of the other subject areas. But that's definitely a big uh, helpful resource for us. And I will say from the elementary side, uh, tumble books is something that all of my elementary teachers use. And so they will definitely continue that. Um, and then my upper elementary and middle school students use the databases that um, the, through Discus. One of the things, we had a virtual summer institute for our teachers. And so I invited Linda Heimberger to come and do a presentation for Discus databases. And so that exposed our teachers to a lot of databases and she is very knowledgeable and I recommend that school districts reach out to her for support but then also training for their teachers. I go in and I tell teachers these things but they don't always take it as well as they are. But when she was showing them there were people in the comments chatting about oh this is great can you show me this so that I can use this. So 
she was phenomenal. And so we have been using discus, but then I think having someone outside of your school to do that is fabulous. So I highly recommend her. That's great to hear. Yeah, I know that Linda's uh, work has really ramped up in the recent months with a lot of closures because a lot more people are requesting virtual training sessions that, you know, is great because she can do that from home. So uh, that's a real, real plus. And I can only foresee that we will be doing a lot more of those kinds of trainings um, statewide and, and virtually. Um, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, I just have one last question, and that will be, what other plans do you have for the fall? I mean, I know it's hard to make a, you know, judgment or an assessment of what is going to happen, and of course, we can only hope for the best, but what kinds of other things do you have planned to do? I want to give a special shout out to my public library in Anderson County. They have really helped provide more ebook options for our kids and get our kids signed up for our library cards. So that's something I want to continue to get as many students as possible uh, set up with their library card and to continue working with them and promoting their programs and events as well. And with the election coming up um, in a high school, voter registration is a big deal. So uh, our Anderson County Election Commission has been a great partner and our League of Women Voters has also helped me set up um, and help register as many of our students as possible and help them kind of guide through the process of that first time voting and choosing who they want to vote for. So those are two um, like partnerships and programs that I'm excited about this fall. And for us, I'm excited about continuing the partnerships that we have already created with people like the Clem with people like Clemson Extension. Um, but then also we are looking at, we have not really purchased a lot of ebooks. And so we are trying to kind of transition to that. Um, and so Sora is the educational version of Overdrive, which is what the pub public libraries use. And so um, we are in the process of getting that for our district, which will then put us in partnership with the public library and getting all of our students a public library card so that they have access to all of their ebooks as well. Um, one of the things, part of my funding for the library comes through book fairs, and so that will look different this year. So we're going to try by an, an online book fair. I'm not sure how that's going to go, um, but a large part of my funding does come from having book fairs so that then I can put books into, new books into our library. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, I'm hoping for a success with that. Well, good luck. Certainly, I know a lot of library vendors are having to rethink things as well. So, you know, having a virtual book fair to be able to raise funds for your school library is certainly something that I know a lot of folks want to continue doing. It's just a matter of how to do that virtually. So it's a it's a big challenge. But I just want to say thank you to both of you. I think what you're both doing is really important for the South Carolina Association of School Librarians as well as for your districts and your individual schools. So it's greatly appreciated. And I'm so glad you're with us today. It was an honor to represent the organization that I love and a job that I love. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, we are honored to be your guest. Um, and so if there's anything that we can do to help in the future, the partner school librarians with the state library, then we would love to do that as well. 
Well, thank you both so much. And thank you to our listeners. You can find Library Voices SC on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We also love hearing from our listeners, so please send us your comments and suggestions for future topics. Library Voices SC is the official podcast of the South Carolina State Library. So until next time, this is Curtis Rogers. Thanks for listening.